Um, But I invite you this morning to turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. I wonder if you guys ever think about high school. Raise your hand if you ever think about high school. I don't know about you, but for me, I remember being in junior high and thinking about high school, this thing that was kind of far away, but something that I knew was coming. And it was something that was, I think, exciting, the idea of high school, but it also kind of made me nervous. Uh, I knew that when I went to high school, I would go to a very big school. There were like over a thousand students at my high school where my middle school, there were only like five of us in the class. I knew it was going to be a big, big change. And I I remember just thinking, what's it going to be like? Uh, How are you supposed to find your way around this giant high school building? Uh, Would I get lost? Or how are you even supposed to know what classes you were supposed to take in high school? Or how, uh, how are you supposed to like get into your locker? And, and what if I forgot the combination to get into my locker? How would I survive that first period gym class that everyone in their freshman year had to take first thing in the morning? Everyone said that was like the worst part about going to high school. And you know what? It kind of was. Thankfully, I think a lot of you guys probably don't have to worry about high school like that. Uh, A lot of you are probably homeschooled. Um, Your mom teaches gym class, so you don't have to worry about what I'm talking about. But I can remember what it was like to think about what's the future going to be like. But one piece of, of being ready for the future that I didn't realize that a lot of high schools have is something called a guidance counselor. Does anybody go to a school right now that has a guidance counselor? Yeah, not, not a few of you maybe, yeah. A guidance counselor is a person that's there to, to they're meant there to like uh, help high school students be prepared for the future. They help them know uh, like what classes to take. They help them to know like a map of the school so they know how to get around. A guidance counselor is there to help. And eventually they start helping you think even about the next thing, college. A guidance counselor is something that's actually really helpful for high school students. Well, this morning we find Jesus helping us and guiding us to think about the future. And something, uh, he, he brings up into our mind the future, which I think is sometimes something that we don't like to think about. Maybe it's beyond high school, it's college, or what am I going to do someday for a job? Well, Jesus here helps us and guides us and counsels us to think about eternity. He gives us in Luke chapter 16 some very important, some must-know information so that we would be prepared for everlasting life. Jesus guides us to think about the future and to be ready, and he brings to our mind something that we probably don't automatically just love to think about all the time, and that's the future, eternity. He brings to our minds the fact that there is a coming future after this life that will last forever. And he wants you, he wants all of us to be ready. 
And Jesus gives us in this chapter some amazing counsel, some guidance so that we would be ready for something that is absolutely going to happen. The future, eternity. A big idea this morning is that Jesus teaches us to live our life now in light of eternity. Jesus teaches us to live now in light of eternity. He tells us to think now about forever. What is coming certainly, with certainty. And we'll read this section of Luke chapter 16. And we're just going to spend a few minutes looking at, at what Jesus writes here in these two parables. As he teaches us about living for eternity. Let's read from Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Jesus also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called to him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. Verse five. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful and a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed Jesus. And they said to him, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John since the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table 
Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. In this big chapter here, there's two parables that stand out as Jesus was in his ministry teaching on this earth. And these parables both are here to help us think about the future, about eternity. They they tell us how to live now in light of the truth that there is an everlasting life after this life. In this parable, Jesus gives us guidance and counsel for how to think about the future. And first, we'll just look at this first parable in verses 1 through 18 of chapter 16. And the first thing Jesus says here is that we need to think about money rightly. If we want to think about eternity and live in light of eternity, we need to think about the money in this world the right way. We see there in verses 1 through 8 that Jesus tells the story of a rich man and his employee, a man who's there called the manager, and we kind of come up into the story, and it's not a good situation as it starts off, is it? Uh, we hear that this man is kind of being like what we would call called into his boss's office. And he is going to get, what? Fired. This man has wasted his boss's, the rich man's money. He has uh, wasted it, and he's done a bad job as a manager working for his boss. And so, in verse 3, it's, it's almost kind of like a play in a movie uh, or a movie like when everything kind of stops in the conversation and everything goes dark. And all of a sudden, uh, the manager comes aside and he says, we kind of get like a glimpse into what's going on in his mind. He says, what am I going to do? Look at verse 3. He says to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me 
into their houses. This man kind of starts to panic here and he thinks, you know, I can't do a lot of those jobs that other people do. I don't want to do those kind of jobs and I don't want to be a beggar. That would be so embarrassing. But just as he's kind of panicking there, he has this this light bulb. He has an idea. He thinks of this clever, savvy plan to give himself safety and security for the future. He thinks about what he can do in order to make himself secure in the future, even if he loses his job here. And Jesus says in verses 5 through 7 that he, uh, this fired manager goes around and he, he does some behind-the-scenes deals. He goes to some of these different debtors to the rich man. And without the rich man knowing, he, he goes and he makes these deals with the debtors those who owed the rich man, so that now instead those people are going to owe him, the manager, instead of his boss. He's come up with this idea to to really scam and probably cheat and rob his boss so that he could be safe for the future. Now Jesus in verse 8 says that this manager, if you look, is dishonest. He says there that this manager uh, is not somebody that we should admire in that way, of course. But he does say in that verse, also in verse 8, that the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Just when uh, this master finds out, this rich man hears what his manager's been doing, we think, oh, he's going to be, what, in huge trouble But Jesus says that the master commends the dishonest manager. It's kind of surprising, isn't it? What's that telling us? Well, the master, although obviously not pleased with what his manager has done and robbing him, he still has to give him credit for being so shrewd, for being so thoughtful about his own future. I like how one translation says verse 8. It says, Now the master praised his rascally steward because he had been so careful for his own future. It's almost like uh, when you're playing like a game with your little brother, like Monopoly or something like that. And I don't know, maybe your brother's really smart. But you get to the end of the game and your brother's won. And then you realize that he's been cheating the whole time. You're not happy with the fact that he's been cheating, but you also say something like, you rascally steward, how did you get away with that? Honestly, I got to give it to you. I got to commend you. Aside from the fact that this man has been unrighteous, he's still been shrewd. What does that mean? He's been careful, thoughtful about his future. To be shrewd is to be wise, to act with sense for your future. And this man had done that. He'd been careful and shrewd with his money. Now, Jesus gives us here a parable, a lesson from this parable. And obviously, we know here that Jesus isn't saying, okay, go and be a cheater and be unrighteous with money. Obviously, that's not what Jesus is saying. That's never okay. But what is Jesus saying here? Well, this does tell us that 
if this is how much careful, shrewd, savvy thinking sinners give to their worldly future, how much more should we, should Christians, should all of us give to our eternal futures? How much more careful thought do we need to give to eternity? Jesus was telling his disciples that they should be thinking carefully about how they use wealth. Verse 9 there, he says, unrighteous wealth. That's just another way to say money. And, and it's not to say that all money is unrighteous in the sense that it's evil, but it's just the fact that this is something that's here of this world and that's not going to last forever. But Jesus wants his followers to be careful and thoughtful about how they use money, how they think about the material things of this world, the stuff of this life. So what are some things that we can learn from these verses? And, and Jesus is teaching here then about how to think rightly about money. Well, I think there's a few things that we could just point out as we kind of go quickly over these verses. But the first thing is that money can and should be used by Christians for eternal purposes. Money, Jesus says, should be used for these awesome purposes for his kingdom. Jesus wants his followers to use money and all that they have thinking about how eternity is real. Christians are people who should steward and use their money. Jesus says in verse 9 there, to win friends in eternal dwellings. It's kind of a confusing phrase. But this is another way to say that Christians give their money so that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, could be proclaimed and so that people could be saved. Christians use their resources in that way. And Jesus is kind of telling us here that Christians will have friends in heaven because they've used their money so that the gospel could be proclaimed and that people could know Jesus Christ and be brought to heaven one day. That is a great and eternal purpose that Jesus talks about. We see this here at our church. We see this as people give money and they give money to a seminary so that people could know about Jesus. They give money um, to our church. There are people that give money so that we could be here this very morning and that we could hear about Jesus Christ. Jesus says, Christians use their money in that kind of way. That shows up in verse 9. And then there's also another lesson here, a quick lesson that kind of shows up in verses 10 and 11 and 12. And that's that our relationship to money can reveal our hearts. Our relationship to money shows what our character is like. Even uh, how we deal and handle with money, what we spend our money on, shows what we love. And Jesus wants his followers, true Christians, to be faithful even with the little things, the money of this world, and how we manage it and how we use it. That matters to God, and it shows where our heart is. 
But then there's one last lesson in those verses, and, and that's that God, not money, should be our master. If we're thinking about eternity the right way, we need to know that money should never be what we love and serve. Instead, God needs to be the one that we know and love and serve. That's what Jesus says there in verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Money can be used for great things. Money in itself is not evil. To be wealthy is certainly not wrong. But loving money and living for money, Jesus said, is foolish. Paul said in 1 Timothy that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. It is through this love that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is the kind of person who lives only for this world and sets their heart on the riches that will not last in this life instead of living for the God who provides eternal riches. Jesus says we need to love and to serve the true and living God and not money. Christians live knowing that all money is God's anyway, and they want it to be for his glory and his honor. That is guidance from Jesus here as we think about how to think about money rightly, knowing that there is eternity coming. So first, Jesus tells us to live in light of eternity in these verses here, thinking about money rightly in that first parable, to be shrewd and careful for our future. And then in verse 14, it says that uh, the Pharisees are hearing this and, and they are lovers of money. They think this is crazy talk and they are exposed as uh, lovers of money. uh, Verse 14 says that they heard these things and they scoff and ridicule what Jesus says. Jesus has really kind of said, here's the people I'm talking about who are in love with the money of this world, whose focus is only on this world and what people think about them, not what God thinks about them. And we won't get into all the details of those verses, but Jesus in verses 14 through 18 uh, with, uh, shows us that the Pharisees are the false teachers. They're exposed as the ones who do not know God. And Jesus here, on the other hand, is shown as the one who really does have authority and does have the uh, power to tell us how to get to God. Jesus is the one who has perfect understanding of God's word and glorifies what God has said. The Pharisees do not. But then with these grumpy Pharisees here, we kind of hear the second parable starting in verses 19, going all the way to the end of the chapter. And the second thing that we hear uh, from Jesus as we should think rightly about eternity is that we need to, number two, respond to God's word believingly. If we want to live ready for the future, here's the guidance and the counsel from Jesus. And this is a warning. It's a warning that would have been heard by the unrighteous Pharisees 
and by the disciples. We need to respond to God's word today with belief. Verse 19 starts with the second parable telling us about a rich man who's got it made in a life of awesome luxury. Jesus would be kind of poking at the Pharisees who we know loved money. And he's saying here that this rich man has uh, been clothed with purple and fine linen and he feasts sumptuously every day. What was the problem with this rich man? It's not that he's in and of itself rich and that's wrong. It's not that this man had really nice clothes and, and that he you know, got to eat sumptuously like at Chick-fil-A every day, except Sundays. It's not that this man was rich and wealthy. The Bible talks about people who are both godly and wealthy, and it gives instructions in other parts about how to use your money for his glory. But the great problem of this rich man shows up in those next verses. In verse 20, At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Here was Right outside of this rich man's gate, a man who was in desperate need, who had nothing, and who longed to have just something from this rich man's table. We even see here that the dogs come and lick his sores. That's not like a cute, oh, that's nice, he has puppies to comfort him. No, that's gross, isn't it? There's no comfort for this man in this life. And this man, this rich man, has no concern or no care for Lazarus. This poor man named Lazarus, it's, it's different from another Lazarus that shows up in the Bible and in the book of John. This poor man, Lazarus, desired, verse 21 says, to be fed with anything that fell from the rich man's table. His situation is helpless, and this rich man has done nothing at all to help him. What's even more, we find that this rich man, eventually we hear, calls Abraham his father. This rich man proclaimed to be righteous. He seemed to have a testimony of of following God. But what shows up in his life is the opposite. Oh, but then the, the story tells us something that really does happen, even though this is a parable, it reminds us of something very, very real. The story tells us about an unpreventable day that comes for the poor man and for the rich man. It tells us about a final, unchangeable, like no going back kind of day where these men both die. Throughout this story, we get a reminder of the fact that eternity is coming. And it is real that one day each of us will face eternity. And this story, we also get a reminder, although it is a story of very real places, of heaven and of hell. Jesus tells us that 
one man goes, the, the poor man goes, and he is carried by the angels to Abraham's side, and he is now in comfort. And another man, the rich man, goes to a place of anguish and torment. We get a reminder here of the fact that there really is a heaven and there really is a hell and there really is a day when we will face eternity when we die. We know from the Bible that those who are in Christ, those who are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his death and what he did on the cross, will be brought to heaven. Acts tells us that we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be saved. But the Bible also tells us that those who reject Christ, those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, will face God's judgment forever in torment and in hell. Jesus says in the story that this rich man goes to this place of torment and anguish in the flame. And it's not because he was rich in this life that he deserves hell. No, it's because he has not shown that he really knows God, that he has really obeyed what God wants him to do. He has not listened to God's word. And verse 24, we, we hear that he calls out and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. He just wants a drop of water on his tongue to relieve himself of the pain. But then look at verse 25. From heaven, Abraham says to the rich man, child, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. In order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. There is nothing Lazarus or Abraham or anyone in heaven could do at this point. In eternity, there is no changing your mind. There's no second chances after death. And there's no way of getting out of where your sin takes you in hell. Things are final, Jesus reminds us. But here, Jesus also counsels and guides us to live now in light of eternity. And there is a way when we think about it, made clear in God's word of escaping God's judgment in hell. Through the message of the gospel, through the good news that Jesus saves sinners who repent and believe in him, you can be rescued from this kind of judgment. John says that as many as receive him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in Jesus' name. If you do that today, you will be saved from a real place of torment that comes at death. This rich man had not listened, and he had not believed in God's way of being saved, and now it was too late. He had lost hope. 
But then in, in these last verses, the lesson becomes clear for us from Jesus. In verse 27 and 28, the rich man begs from his torment that Lazarus could at least go tell his brothers who were alive and still on earth to repent and to turn in faith to God for salvation. Maybe he thought if someone came back from the dead and would tell my family about what is true, they would listen. But Abraham tells the rich man in verse 29, they already have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Who are Moses and the prophets? This is talking about the Bible. God's word, the Old Testament often called Moses and the prophets. And he says again there in verse 30, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, if they do not hear scripture, neither will they be convinced even if someone should rise from the dead. What's Jesus telling us here? He reminds us that we have a message that is more powerful than even if someone came back from the dead to tell us what is true. We have God's word, which tells us and warns us and guides us to think rightly about eternity. And this book, the Bible, tells us the way to be saved through Jesus Christ. And it's not even someone coming back from the dead that we need or that could wake us up to what is true. It's the Bible that tells us what is true. Second Timothy says the sacred writings, the Bible are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So I think the, the easy question, the important question for you is are you responding in faith to God's word? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ shown and explained in the Bible as the way to salvation? Jesus gives us two important messages about the future. And I wonder if you think about the future. Do you ever wonder or think, what's it going to be like? Jesus tells us very clearly Think about the riches of this life rightly and listen to God's word and respond to it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the way and the truth and the life and that there is hope and salvation for anyone who comes to you and believes in you. Thank you for this awesome message of hope and salvation that gives us joy not only for eternity, but even in this life now that we can experience today. Lord, thank you for these important reminders about eternity. In Christ's name we pray, amen.